Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire. And I'm Robert Bucciolato. And we're also taping this for the Florida Squeeze today, Robert. Uh, we did a part one with uh, Dave Trotter looking at the numbers in Florida in 2020, 2020 election, and it, looking at it from a historical perspective, especially uh, focusing on specific counties, Pinellas County, Orange County, Miami-Dade, Broward, uh, some of the bigger counties, and Volusia, Escambia also. Uh, today with you, Robert, with your knowledge of presidential history, uh, and you are an acclaimed presidential historian in addition to being the co-host of this podcast, uh, I wanted to kind of dive into the broader strokes from a historical perspective. We don't have to get into specifically, uh, as we did with, with, with Dave Trotter, oh, well, Volusia County voted 5% more this time than last time or whatever whatever the number was. So let's, let's start just with a broad overview. Joe Biden wins the presidency. However, uh, he loses Florida, first Democrat to get elected with losing Florida since Bill Clinton, first person to get elected president when losing Florida since 1992, Bill Clinton. And significantly, we saw a return of ticket splitting, something we have not seen in recent national elections, something that defined the 1980s. For example, uh, when Ronald Reagan carried the state by close to 30 points against Walter Mondale, uh, the Democrats did fine in legislative races. In 1980, same thing, when Reagan routed Carter. Uh, we, we, we've seen this historically in 88. Uh, Dukakis gets 39% in the state. Buddy McKay gets 50 Bush gets 61, but Connie Mack only gets 50 on the Republican side. This time in Florida, we saw some ticket splitting. And then nationally, we saw ticket splitting return in a big way for the first time since, I would say, the, the 90s. Well, I, you know, and it, it is uh, worth repeating that um, we did not have a Senate election in Florida this year. So um, we're only able to look at numbers that we get from other states. I would have loved for us to have a Senate um, race like we did in 16, just to see if there was any severe, you know, ticket splitting. Uh, there was none. Um in 16, I, I guess uh, Florida Republicans at that time felt pretty positive about Trump and very positive about uh, uh, Rubio. Um, but there was, shocker of shocker, there was a huge amount of ticket splitting in Texas and in Georgia. Um, in Texas in particular, you had um, uh Joe Biden in the 40s, not enough to flip the state and turn it blue, but you had him in the 40s, and then the Senate candidate for the Democrat was in the 30s. And then you have, uh, you know, Joe Biden pulling out this miracle in Georgia. And actually, Robert, yeah. real quickly, in Texas also, uh, great point there. There were a number of U.S. House candidates in targeted seats, a couple of them open who we don't have the final data yet as we're recording this, but from the Democratic perspective, ran behind several points behind Biden, uh, Republican candidates who ran in those specific districts. And a lot of them were in the Houston area and the Dallas area. And then there was one in, in the border counties, uh, largely Latino area, where the, uh, the Democratic, where the Republican candidate ran several points ahead of Trump. And, you know, in, in Georgia, you see a situation where, you know, Ozoff to get into a recount and uh, 
you know, the, the implication is that the Republicans that did not vote for Trump voted for Biden, uh, still voted against Assam and the, the Senate, uh, Democrat in Georgia, which eventually, you know, made the difference with it being a clean victory for Biden and there being the runoff for the Senate candidates. One very interesting thing though, that I've seen, which, um, is both strange and also kind of, uh, exciting is the fact that we had a return of what presidential elections used to be. And that was um, a presidential candidate would come into a state and he would basically uh, fly on the coattails of the state candidates. Um, You saw this a lot in 76 with um, Carter in Ohio and uh, Ford in California and Colorado and Washington. Um, and Carter in Pennsylvania, where they used the party infrastructure and the uh, Senate candidates and the governor candidates to really help aid the uh, top of the ticket with um, voters statewide that knew those candidates better than maybe the presidential candidate. You saw that happen with Trump, where um, for quite a bit of it, uh, of the, the race, it looked like Trump was um, actually outperforming a lot of Senate candidates. But as it turned out, in some of these close races, he actually didn't do as well as the Senate candidate. Again, um, Georgia is another point. Um, so is North Carolina, uh, specifically North Carolina. Yeah, in North Carolina, uh, Roy Cooper was reelected as governor, Democratic governor, Elaine Marshall was reelected as uh, as secretary of state, the attorney general, who's a Democrat, was reelected. That happened while Trump was carrying the state. So there were a significant number of people in that state who voted for Democrats uh, for multiple statewide offices and then switched over to vote for Donald Trump and switched over to vote for uh, Tom Tillis for U.S. Senate, the Republican. And then on the flip side of things, you saw once again uh, Joe Biden, the president-elect, winning the presidency in much the same vein as Bill Clinton, where he basically outstripped all of the down ticket. Um, You know, he both, frankly, Obama in 12 and uh, Clinton in 16, and excuse me, in 96 and 92, were, um, you know, they were mocked as basically being the, you know, a single landslide, a lonely landslide, because they were the only ones that won at the top of the ticket and down ballot. Um, everybody else just sort of collapsed in all the states. Yeah, and this, this I have to say, uh, uh, from my perspective, again, I'm a Democrat. I was not as frustrated. I was frustrated, but 96 was horrible. Because the expectation was Clinton running that far ahead of Dole meant you flipped at the very least the House and probably the Senate also. And it didn't work out that way. I want to point out Georgia, uh, 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 Kelly Leffler and, uh, and and Doug Collins combined, along with the other kind of Republicans who were running in that race, ran ahead of Trump. And if you take the, uh, the Biden number, he ran well ahead of all the Democrats, Warnock and the other Democrats running in that race combined. And he ran... Uh, as you mentioned, ahead of Osof. So uh, there was some ticket splitting in Georgia, which 
is something that we might see again in the suburbs, because I think one of the things we we learned in the 1990s, since you mentioned the 96 election specifically, is suburban voters at that time were willing to vote, cross over and vote for Bill Clinton for president, but kept a number of Republicans in. Um, and I'm even thinking of one or two in, in the Philly area, in Bucks County and in, in uh, Montgomery County that had been targeted by the Democrats. And since that became such an important place in, in 16 and 20, those those Philly suburbs uh, where people voted Clinton and then they voted for, for Jim Greenwood for Congress or for John Fox for Congress or whoever their uh, their, their congressman was in, in the Philly area. And then same thing in, in kind of some of the suburban districts in New Jersey in 96, same thing in, in, in suburban districts around Chicago in 96. So this is interesting because I think what we saw in Metro Atlanta was a lot of um, white suburban voters voting for for Biden. You also saw that in Dallas and Fort Worth. Tarrant County flipped to the Democrats, Democratic presidential nominee for the first time since I believe LBJ in 64 and might even be going back to, to Truman in 48. Uh, Carter didn't win it either time, even when he won Texas and in 76. Harris County, there were a lot of outlying areas where Biden, as I said earlier, outran the Democratic congressional candidate. And, you know, what is so fascinating is, um, in a way, this was very different from any other uh, Democratic victory, um, specifically when it was a Democratic vic- victory against an incumbent president. We've had a few of those this uh, past century, and um, it always usually ended up with uh, the public giving them a mandate so that they could um, enact their platform. You saw that with um, you know Clinton getting uh, you know no, basically a, a strength that the Democrats having having a strengthened majority in the U.S. Senate and to a smaller extent. The House when he came in in '92, you saw um, Barack Obama. Even though he was, you know, not running against an incumbent, he technically was running against an incumbent, and uh, his party was rewarded um, with, uh, you know, incredible majorities that they would then go on in just as Clinton to lose two years later. Same thing with um, uh, Carter. Same thing with. Kennedy, same thing with FDR. Here, that kind of didn't happen. What you have, um, it almost feels like the kind of victory that a incumbent president receives is what Biden received. It was, we trust you enough, we like you enough to elect you, but we want you to have some restraints. And so um, Democrats didn't win the whole ball game this time around, like some people thought that they did. And so um, it was surprisingly, which is, it's very unusual because an incumbent president was defeated. And that's a very rare happening in this democracy. But for such an event to happen, it still felt like a pretty status quo election. Yeah, and that's, that's very, very important as we pivot talking specifically about the state of Florida, Robert, and it felt like a very status quo election in Florida. Uh, President Trump, who is now a Florida resident, wins his home state or his adopted home state. 
even from that level in a lot of areas. And we'll get the final numbers soon. We'll actually get the final numbers uh, maybe within a week or two of us taping this uh, here. But there, uh, there appears to be, uh, ha- have been, even from whatever number Trump had, a uh, increase in vote share for several Republican legislative candidates, uh, both state Senate and state House candidates in targeted districts as you went down ballots. So there seemed to be even in, in some of these places where there may have been some dis, discomfort with, with President Trump and his reelection, there was a satisfaction with uh, Republicans running the legislature, which is a very significant takeaway, particularly in a year that we thought was going to be defined by coronavirus, but in fact ended up being a status quo election. And I think you saw a lot of, of real uh, dividends for the Republicans. Um, you know, Trump won the state. I, it didn't necessarily help him cross the 270 in the long run, but it was a, a huge payoff for congressional legislative Republicans. This um, whole uh, appeal to Cuban Americans to uh, basically um, latch on the um, democratic socialism banner that some people um, on the left of the Democratic Party have to latch that on to Joe Biden. Um, everybody knows that the Cuban Americans in South Florida have a lot of very vivid uh, firsthand accounts of um, socialism run amok, communism run amok in their homeland. So they are um, properly, naturally default motivated to vote against something like that. And uh, the probably, I, I mean, I don't know if you would agree, but I'd say probably better than at any other time in a generation, the Republican Party was really able to capitalize on that factor. Yeah, I'd say a couple couple things there. Uh, yes, that was definitely a factor, but there were other factors too that maybe the national media hasn't dug too deep into, um, and even the state media. One, uh, Puerto Ricans, uh, the Puerto Rican vote in Osceola County, Biden lost a significant vote share there compared to Hillary Clinton in 2016. So that was uh, that's a completely different Latino group. It's a Latino group that Democrats had maybe naively thought would be angry at Trump because of the handling of Hurricane Maria. Well, in fact, uh, he changed some points off there. Uh, and two, I think Rick Scott, as governor, cultivated Latino voters. He uh, was able to cut into the Latino vote and, and maybe also suppress turnout a little bit in 2014. In 2018, he took a big slice away from Bill Nelson. He has learned Spanish, at least in term, at least in a broken fashion, right? But very smart when you're running statewide in Florida. And he has uh, had an operation on the ground in Latino areas, not just in Miami Dade, but also in Broward. We saw Biden, by the way, I I believe had the lowest percentage of the vote of any. Democratic nominee, if you take the two-party vote, in Broward County since since uh, Dukakis in 88. Um, yeah. And a lot, a lot of that was looking at the precinct analysis. A lot of that was uh, um, in Latino areas. And then Osceola County, I mentioned also Orange County, which performed very well for Biden. But he seems to have lost some in the Latino community there. It was offset by a kind of the outlying areas east of Orlando, the areas near the University of Central Florida really performed well for Biden, outperformed what Democrats have done in the past. Um, 
The point I was going to make is that Rick Scott has done a really good job of reaching out to the Latino community in Florida uh, in a way that Republicans haven't, other than Jeff Bush in the past, and Jeff Bush, I think, had a natural connection to them. Rick Scott didn't, but he's done it. He's crossed that bridge. He's really uh, made himself comfortable in the cafes of Little Havana, in the Puerto Rican community, in Kissimmee, BDL, Buenaventura Lakes, and, and, and uh, Poinciana, et cetera. And he effectively turned that operation over to Trump. Scott also has an understanding of Latino media. So he has been able to craft very effective television ads for himself on Spanish language television, the type of ads the Democrats, the Democrats do not craft. And the Democrats think that they're going to win the Latino vote because they're entitled to it, right? They, they, they behave that way. But uh, Scott has done a masterful job in communicating with them. And then I think this cycle, Scott uh, opened the door for Trump to communicate on uh, uh, Spanish language radio, which in my past life as a Democratic political consultant, I would always urge the Democrats to do that and to communicate on Creole language, light radio, etc. Most of the time they weren't interested. I have to give Rick Scott a lot of credit and I have to say I think he had a lot to do with with that. But yeah, but other than that, yeah, your analysis about um, the socialism and, and the, uh, the impact of the Democratic socialists uh, mantra than being pinned on Biden. And, and by the way, I should mention also Biden's voting record on issues of importance to the Cuban American community in terms of foreign policy was not quite as good or far to the right, I guess, if you would describe it as that, as uh, Hillary Clinton's had been. So, for example, Biden had voted against military aid for the Contras. Um, a, a, on multiple occasions, he voted for the Boland Amendment, which banned military aid to the Contras and then voted against any attempt to repeal it after. That is a 35-year-old vote, but that affects some really hardcore anti-communists. And there were some other votes like that in Biden's record. Biden, um, Biden's record, at least on foreign policy, foreign affairs issues, was to the left of Clinton's, uh, Hillary Clinton's, Bill Clinton's, or Barack Obama's. So that also hurt him with that community. Uh, two other things that I think are pretty noteworthy is um, this might very well have proven that in the state of Florida, um, just because you have an overwhelming uh, advantage over another candidate in terms of your media buy, that that doesn't necessarily yes. move the needle. Absolutely. Keep going on that. And, and uh, you know, that was certainly the case. We were... Um, you know, we were hearing back in April, you know, oh, Trump is going dark in the panhandle. You know, this is bad news. This is bad news. And then it was, uh, you know, Trump is going dark in Florida, period. And then, you know, it was uh, Trump is spending all of his money in the panhandle. He's really worried. And, uh, you know, by by the end of this election, um, you had basically almost no Trump ads here in Florida, and you were just bombarded by Joe Biden ads. So um, I think we might be seeing uh, a sort of a crest yes. of, uh, of, you know, the, the pattern which has sort of dominated Florida and, by extension, national politics in the, the 30 years that's on the airwaves. And it might start being really, again, what it used to be, which is all based on outreach and um, association and 
structured, developed ground game, which um, is wildly more unpredictable, um, as we've seen in the past the past four elections now. Um, another thing, and I'm glad you mentioned Dukakis, um, it was the goal of Biden to, if, even if he couldn't win or flip or turn states that were lost by Hillary, that he would um, work very hard to cut the margins of Trump. Basically, his idea was, I'm going to nickel and dime him to 49%. Yeah. And um, so you saw in places like um, Leon County, my home county, you saw a, a massive increase in the vote total for for Biden as opposed to Hillary. And you saw some increases um, in, you know, the, the central Florida, like you mentioned. But then in some places you saw um you know, him polling Walter Mondale, Michael Dukakis level nice. numbers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. bad, bad numbers, numbers that Democrats have not had in, you know, at any level um, since the night, you know, probably the mid 1990s. Yeah, great observation. We'll leave it at that. Although I want to, I want to follow up on on both of those things. On the TV ads, I, I got into a discussion with a, a well-known Republican in late August who said, and this was a public conversation on, on Twitter, who said, it looks, seems like Biden has crested. He's lost his momentum in Florida. I responded and said, yes, I agree. I think that there are some issues in this state. Immediately, a very, very prominent Democrat jumped into the conversation, admonished me and said, we are uh, we are uh, four to one in terms of, of ad buys in this state, Trump v. Bi uh, Biden v. Trump. We're, we're, we're spending four times as much, the Democrats are, Biden is, than Trump. And I was like, okay, so what? But that's how you win elections is what this person told me. Well, no, uh, clearly not. The four to one ratio, which which I, I believe is true just based on my own viewing. Maybe it wasn't quite four to one, but the two and a half to three to one, I would say. There is a law of diminishing returns in everything you do and, and in marketing and in advertising. And Biden hit that in this state. And then the second point was, yeah, in a lot of places, Biden ran at really low numbers, kind of historic low numbers for a Democrat. Not not quite McGovern or Mondale numbers, but Dukakis numbers worse than, than Kerry in some places. Uh, so that's something the Democrats have to think about going forward. I think the Republicans have a built-in advantage in the state now in exurban counties and in medium-sized uh, places we we talked about this on the previous uh, episode with Dave Trotter. Uh, places like Volusia, which was once very uh, Democratic county, Lee County with Fort Myers, Pasco, uh, Brevard. The Space Coast has always leaned the Republican, but the margins are getting bigger. Polk County, which the Democrats had been chipping away at the re Republican margins recently in that county. Uh, no Democrats carried it since Carter in '76, but uh, the Democrats had chipped away, and actually Obama in '12 had done better than Obama in eight. In that county, one of the few counties in the in the state that happened in, uh, Biden now lost by a similar margin to what Dukakis lost by in that county. So that's th those are sorts of things that the Democrats in this state have to be concerned about. And uh, I think overall, there's a, there's a lot to take from this election. It was, you know, we we have expectations, Robert. And you sit, you know, this is a presidential historian, and then you have to wait for the returns because there's always a different storyline. Every election is different.
Well, and this was, uh, you know, this was a remedy in which um, it seems that both parties got to uh, enjoy the, the the feel of victory and then the sting of defeat because, uh, you know, Democrats were sort of crying in their beer um, Tuesday night and, and, you know, the Republicans, a lot of Republicans I know felt very triumphant. And um, you saw this slow you know, just reversal over the course of a few days, um, you definitely got a sense that you were watching something historic. Um, in, in the case of Florida, we saw a presidential candidate in the form of Joe Biden, who largely didn't give a whole lot of uh, TLC to the state. Um, he really just focused on you know, getting 270 and Arizona. And I think um, that was the winning strategy. But it was really the first time in a long time where you you basically only saw one candidate, and that was Donald Trump, continuously campaigning in Florida. Um, so all in all, very, very unusual election here. Yeah, and, and, and of course, that's offset by the fact that Biden spent however much more on television and in, in media than Trump did in the state. And, and I think that was the strategy was to was to tie up the airwaves in Florida, force Trump to spend money, but really count on other states. So anyway, thank you, Robert. And uh, we'll be back with a f- another new Florida history podcast next week.